2: This week, the Clarets travel away to Anfield to try and get their season off to a start with some well-earned points away at Liverpool. This is the Known and Never podcast. Hello and welcome to another episode of the No Never podcast. I'm your host, Natalie Bromley, and joining me this week are No Never panellists, Tom Whitaker and, that's my drum roll, newbie Adam Dennett. Adam, I'm going to bring you straight in to say hello to our listeners. Welcome, welcome, welcome to our panel.
3: Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, pleasure to be here. Um, started listening myself uh, during lockdown and then absolutely loved uh, being involved in the portmaster quiz um my friends thought i were cheating but uh, i don't think they quite realized how much of a geek i was only a slightly bigger geek than tom but i'm sure he'll have something to say about that in uh, in future competitions so no really excited thanks uh thanks again for the opportunity
2: no not at all we're excited to have you it's always we're always trying to expand our horizons on on the podcast and get new new um, views in there. And I don't just realise actually, as we started recording, of course, we've got our two pop Master finalists. Tom, you got beat by the newbie. What kind of show is that?
4: Well, I don't want to say it was fixed, but.
2: <laughs> yeah, so so our newbie won and then gets a place on the panel. No, it definitely wasn't fixed. Definitely wasn't fixed. We put you in there as our mole, Tom, to to bring home the title for the non NF panel and you let us down. So contrary to rich and george's claims last week that you're my favorite you've now been demoted because you have let us down <laughs> but seriously guys it is great to have you both on and i'm looking forward to this one um we have got quite a jam-packed episode to look at today we are going to start with some exciting transfer news uh, we're hoping that george is going to jump on at some point later on in the episode he is in a claret's trust board meeting as we speak and of course you remember from last week he is taking over um, the uh, as roving reporter for all Clarets Trust and Community Matters. So we'll get an update from him if he makes it. Um, we need to look back on that game away at Anfield. Um, in particular, um, Mr Klopp's ludicrous claims about the physical Burnley side, which is a nonsense. Um, and we're going to look ahead to Newcastle, which, as we record, is in about 24 hours' time, which is, of course, the first round, first of our rounds of the League Cup. So... Lots and lots to get on with. Um, Tom, I'm going to come straight to you because literally about half an hour before we jumped online to record this and went live, we have had the news broke over Twitter that the Clarets have indeed agreed a €15 million Euro deal for Corne, is that how you pronounce it? From Leon. Um, Deal to take us to 2026. And Apparently he's flying to Turf Moor tomorrow for medical and to finalise personal terms. I can't believe it's happening but may we actually be buying a player for money?
4: Listen, if it happens it's very, very exciting but I'm not getting my hopes up just yet. You know, you see a lot of conflicting reports. I know it seems like pretty fair that we've had a fee agreed now but then you read stuff like maybe he wants to go to here to Berlin, he'd rather go there. Maybe Newcastle or West Ham are, are going to come in at the last minute. So until I've seen that photo of him wearing a shirt, and simultaneously holding a shirt with his name on the back, I'm not going to get my hopes up. Uh, but if if we can if we can get it done, and it's uh, a good statement of intent. I think it would equal our record ever uh, transfer. It would be something of, something exciting, something a bit different. I can remember when we signed before, and I didn't know a lot about him, but it was just like oh, this bloke's you know he's Belgian he's meant to be really good the uh, same with Corney. you know I know he's played in the Champions League I think he's got against Man City in the Champions League for Leon. I don't know much about him but it sounds like he might uh, from what I've read he's quick he's skillful. exactly what we're crying out for just something a bit a bit more exotic a bit more interesting and I think that if we do get this over the line um, before the game on Sunday it will affect the atmosphere massively even if he doesn't play so yeah like I say I'm not going to get my hopes up just yet I want, I want to see him uh on the dotted line first but if if it does get done then it it sounds like a really exciting piece of business
2: yeah it definitely does Tom Whittaker the voice of reason always I'm not the voice of reason I get overly excited about anything and and, and get carried away um Adam as as Tom said there it's just something different it's something we're crying out for um clearly he's um, a left-sided player um apparently can play at left back but mainly plays on the wing um there is some, obviously there's there's a position there that Dwight McNeil very much takes over. But we had a chat offline before um, this news was broke about the potential for us being able to play a 4-5-1 with Corney on the left, JBG on the right and and um, McNeil play more in a central role. I think we talked about it on the podcast last week as well. Um, is, is this a solution? Is this something that we can actually look at changing this very rigid and very consistent formation that we play?
3: Uh, yeah, I think so. Um, I agree, I think that would be our a- uh, strongest lineup if if we do manage to get it over the line, um, and it all it just bolsters um, options. Even if we did want to play four four two, we know what JBG's injury records like, um, and obviously using Hendrick and more recently Brownhill on uh, on that inside right just isn't exciting. Um, and like Tom said, it is about time we we had a signing as fans to be excited about. Because, uh, well, it seems a while. Um, I think, like you said, Defoe were probably the last one. But even the summer where we spent quite a bit of cash on Vidra, Gibson, Hart, which hasn't really come gone to plan. I think that's the last time I was optimistic about transfers. And I, th- I think we really do need something to, to uh, get us off our feet. And hopefully we'll provide that. Like you, I've not seen him play obviously seen um, the highlights reel and it looks looks okay scored against city so that'll be an improvement from uh, from the off if we can uh, if we can do that um but yeah hopefully get it over the line and i think we need to because um i've not seen much of any sort of contingency plans so um yeah fingers crossed uh don't want i mentioned it on our group yesterday uh, don't want another uh, Grizicki where he's flying over in a private jet and then it all goes goes wrong at the last minute. <laughs> I, uh, I remember that. getting very excited about that as well, and uh, and that didn't end well. But anyway, yeah.
2: So I guess I guess Adam, the the million dollar question: How if he does sign tomorrow, for example, how soon before Dash plays him?
3: <laughs> <laughs> as soon as he, he needs to, probably um, depends how many they get. But it, you'd you'd expect he'd, uh, be on the bench for his first appearance, get get him, I think Dice Light's new signings getting settled with a matchday experience. Yeah. Um, maybe get ten minutes and maybe half an hour, and then I'll who knows if he's if he's good enough throw him in. We're not exactly um we can't really be patient for points, can we? Uh Leeds is a massive game. I can obviously I can't see in any any situation where he'd start that game. Um but yeah, hopefully, if we get him over the line, he can get into the first eleven and make a difference, provide that spark.
2: Yeah, definitely. And I think, certainly in terms of of personnel, Tom, it, it's just so desperately needed. We 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 know this isn't groundbreaking news, but if a starting lineup and a bench um, screamed more to you that, well, essentially name me one that screamed more to you that we need reinforcements than that that bench on on Sunday just to. Saturday, wasn't it? Saturday. Just to remind our listeners, we had essentially um, Vidra and Westwood were both injured second game of the season. They picked up Knox. And our bench ended up being Will Norris, Eric Peters, Jay Rodriguez, and Phil Bardsley. And then Owen Dodgson, Wayne Hennessy, Lewis Richardson, Bobby Thomas, and Nathan Collins. Two keepers, three defenders, Not an awful lot of options and some youth players. And to the point, Tom, where, and this is fine, I don't mind this, but we genuinely had a slightly laughable situation where the club was having to tell us where certain players played, um, which is is legitimate because we need to know. But it's just another sign that we just don't have the personnel to be able to cover it up. And that was really worrying.
4: On the plus side, though, it did allow us to fulfill the aesthetically pleasing 1-11 team selection. With all the numbers in the correct positions as well, so every cloud. Um, but yeah, you're right. I mean, it, we all said it after the Brighton game. You know, the, the bench looking threadbare. There's not many options to bring on, and then lo and behold, you know, we've got two less players than we had for that game. So you always know if you're in that situation that if uh, if if the opposition nick a goal, then you got to struggle to change things from the bench. And obviously, when you're playing a team like Liverpool, the likelihood is they are going to score at some point. So yeah, to, to have that lack of options was. Uh, is worrying and you know even if we do get corner over the line we are still probably still are two or three short in that kind of area so you'd hope then at least maybe i mean not that i'd be too excited about it really but you'd hope maybe we could get lennon signed up or somebody like that and just get another body there because you know i mean bringing i think you summed it up natalie when you said i thought we just i thought we just brought a left back on to play right wing when we're two nil down away you know against liverpool I mean, it was one thing when it was happening in the pandemic, when uh, you know people were getting released, and it was a weird kind of just elongated season. But we're, you know, we're over a season down the line from that now, and we're still doing it, and it's just it's not really good enough. It's not can't be acceptable really for a Premier League team to be doing things like that.
2: No, and, and it's not like it's it's sprung up on us either. This is like the fourth or fifth season in a row that we've been in this position, and it's it's really disheartening. Um. And from my perspective, Adam, like the Cornet signing is really good and it shows that we're casting our net a little bit wider and that we are prepared to spend money. But Tom's absolutely right. It's not enough. And I'm not entirely sure that a transfer window where we bring in Hennessy, Collins, Lennon again and Corney is enough. I know it's better than the past couple have been, but it's still not enough and it still leaves us really vulnerable. I mean, aside from the obvious sort of generic winger, you know what else do you want to see us do if we can get any more over the line before the weekend?
3: Um, I think, like Tom said, Lennon. I don't understand why that's not happened already. To be honest, because is yeah. um, definitely improvement on on what we've got available, and it um, could definitely bring an option on the right wing that's um, that's should be more attack minded than than Eric Peters anyway. But um, <laughs> so yeah, if, if we got. Lennon over the line. I think at the moment, uh, at the start of the summer, if you told me we'd been here two weeks sorry, a week before the transfer window closes with just Collins and Hennessy, um, yeah, I wouldn't have been very happy. So, with a week to go, if we did get Lennon, um, Corney over the line, then I don't think we can complain. But um, because at least, at least we're doing something later on. But uh, obviously, seeing the Will Hughes link, that'd add a bit of versatility, can play in a in a few positions. But I'd have really liked us to go for um for a, like an attacking, uh, well, a striker. Uh, this summer, uh, we've got obviously four very like decent strikers, but they're all maybe Woods coming into his prime now, like at his prime, but um Jay, Vidra, Barnes are all on the downward spiral. I'm not saying that they're finished or that they can't do a job. Um they're not gonna get any better. So no. it might have been nice to bring uh bring a promising young striker and maybe um maybe some something with a bit of pace that's a bit a bit different. Cause as as well as Vidra did last last season, like he not flatters to deceive. He's, he's definitely a, br- a really good footballer, but his numbers at any Premier League club he's been at, um, goals and assists just aren't, um, mm. well, aren't very good. So I'd like to have seen an improvement in that regard. I've uh, seen quite a lot of people calling out for the youth to be given a chance, uh, but I think if they were good enough, they'd be in, yeah. like, given a chance. Like, McNeil got his chance when he was young, um we've only been um like is it category a uh, youth development for the last last couple of years or a year or so you're probably not going to see the fruits of that for another couple of years yet uh and there's been times in the past where um fans have called out for Aidan O'Neill to be given a chance even i think last year it were or the year before it were koike left back get him get him in he can he can he can do a job and not seen any of these players and I, I trust Dyche to be able to, um, to give the youngsters a chance if he thinks they are good enough. Obviously a few will go out on loan if we do manage to get some numbers in. Um, but does does Dyche have to take some of the blame? Because he must like working with a smaller squad because yeah, he does. he's always talking about adding quality and not quantity and and obviously we've just not managed to get anything over the line. So it just beggars belief that bench at the weekend. Uh like you said yeah, after really five good. seasons in the Premier League, you'd you'd probably expect expect better at this stage. Back to the original point. If we get Lennon in, uh Conay in and maybe one other Hughes, I'd I'd be I'd be happy enough.
2: Yeah.
3: I think the starting is good enough to stay up, but if True. we had any injuries at the moment, I think we'd be absolutely knackered.
2: Yeah, that is, that is so true. And, and to be in that position second game of the season is just is just ridiculous. Um, a couple of points leading on from that, Tom. I think um, talking about the youth team, it, it does kind of make the Jimmy Dunn sale feel a little weird, doesn't it? I know we've talked about this offline that that now feels like a strange bit of business. I think a loan would have been Way more appropriate than a sale. Um, actually, I think it. Would, I think it might be Jamie Smith who talked about this, maybe in his newsletter, um, I, which I will plug in a little while. Um, I, I'm pretty sure that it was him who said this. That, that now feels strange. Um, and the other point that, that I was going to make there as well is is I think Adam's right. I'm going to take this spot and I'm going to run with this. Um, on the caveat, of course, that you know dashes is God, but. Even God can get criticised at times, and it does feel a little bit, doesn't it, that Dyche does have not always a positive impact on the transfer market, shall we say. Sorry, I'll just land them bombshells with you, I'm afraid, Tom. (laughs) Two very provocative questions.
4: (laughs) Looking at the first one, I think in terms of Jimmy Dunn, I think with bringing Collins in, I I don't think it, it, it didn't make sense really to to sell him, I mean, he would have been fifth choice, and we know Dyche likes long, um, but he, I mean, even, even he's moved down the pecking order now, so for me, I thought that the, maybe the one that I would have said alone would have been better than a sale would have actually been Benson, who's gone to Barnsley. Um, you know, he played a few first-team games last year. I don't know if he was outstanding, but he, I mean, he played a lot more than Don. I thought he, uh, yeah, yeah. you know, he had a bit about him. I think he's a little bit older than, I don't maybe 22 or 23, so maybe a little bit older than, you know, a really promising up and comer, but it might have made sense to. I think, yeah, I think he did get a new contract as well last year, so it might have made sense for him to, to go out and loan I think we're probably a bit more light in the middle of midfield than we are at centre half now that Collins has come in. So, yeah, maybe that was a strange one, but having said that, you know, I, I think he's doing well for Barnsley so far, but he would have been fourth, or fifth choice here as well. And I'd rather really just see you spend some money on a, a more established player or someone with a bit more pedigree. So, uh, yeah not not too bothered about those with regards to to Deich, um i th- i think it's interesting that um you know we've had two windows now with the new owners and we've still found problems in bringing players in now i think some of that is down to the fact that the in- infrastructure to transfer and, and that at the club is not' is not great um a lot of this, i think the under twenty threes are getting there you seem to make better signings there there seems to be a bit more of a pathway into the first team now but in terms of the um the first team scouting, the scouting overseas, things like that, that, you know, I think the reason they've got rid of rig is because that the setup isn't there or isn't there to the level it should be. So that's certainly part of it. But, you know, when you look at the last few windows, um, we've got a new board now, they seem to be a bit more willing to stretch the finances. They should, if we can get Con over the line, that'll be two sort of, you know, 10 million plus pound players that we've bought in the window. Um, and the common denominator it would be dice then and you would say, Yeah, you know, there was rumours last season that we could have got Wilson for ten million or something and Dice turned it down. Would have been a good bit of yeah. business for me that. Um and he he obviously is very stubborn, he obviously does have his a very fixed kind of view of what he wants. Although having said that, you know, if, if you were to name a, a, a dice a typical dice player, it wouldn't be, you know, like a, a an Ivory Coast winger who's who plays for Leon. So uh, maybe uh, <laughs> you know what i mean so maybe there's there's been either he's become a bit more accepting of uh of what we need to do in the market or he's been a bit more convinced to, to look further abroad now by the new board um i, I think i i was slightly wary to criticize daish when uh when people make this point because i think there's, there isn't there aren't many premier League managers out there who are going to turn down the opportunity to spend money i think the majority of our problems have come from the fact that really we we just don't have enough money to spend or the manager's not being given enough money to spend. So I'm late to criticise him too much. But yeah, I think he's quite rigid. And hopefully, like I say, the the fact that, well, let's let's hope that this Cornet signing, or if we do get it over the line, or even the fact that we're sort of sniffing in this market, suggests that A, the scouting overseas is getting better. Dyche has got a bit more confidence in that side of the recruitment. And hopefully that Dyche is a bit more open-minded going forward as well.
2: Yeah, I think that's a really good point. And I think if you look at this on balance and you think, well, Daesh is cautious with our money. And if it genuinely is a case of the club being completely hamstrung with with the wages it can play and pay and the agent's fees they can cover and the the demands of the player, then Daesh is probably likely to be just ultra, ultra cautious and making sure that he doesn't waste that money on the wrong player. Because if he does he ain't getting any more for maybe another year, maybe another transfer window. And I think on the balance, on balance, I would rather have a manager who is cautious like that, than one that is, that just doesn't care and is very, uh, very much self-preservation and just wants to, to spend it irrespective. So I think as frustrated as we maybe get with that, um, I think that's, that's the position I'd rather be in. Um, So in that sense then, um, and Tom, I'll stick with you on this one to start off with, turning two personnel, of course, we we found out, which came as a bit of a shock really, but just before the Liverpool game started, that both Westwood and Vidra had picked up knocks in training, which is disappointing so early in the season after a full pre-season, but there you go. That's what happens when you um, play with a small squad, I guess. Which meant that we had, um, obviously, we put Brownhill in the centre, which is is fine, Brownhill and Cork. But it did mean that rather than Rodriguez... Um, Daesh went with Barnes which came as some surprise to um, the rest of the world <laughs> because I think everybody was expecting after the performance against um, who did we play first game of the season? Brighton, there we go that, sorry I've been distracted listeners because George has just joined us hence why I've been tripping over the words there so I'll bring him in in a minute um, were you surprised that Barnes started and he didn't really impact the game that much, is that harsh?
4: Uh, well, for me, uh, it's not a surprise in the sense that Dice is quite predictable in that regard. I know Dice is a big fan of the uh, Barnes. Obviously, um, he's not a big fan of Vidra, so it didn't surprise me that Vidra didn't start the first game. I thought Rodriguez was earned his place there from his form in pre-season. You know, he's scoring a lot of goals in pre-season, and I thought that's why he played. And there was a lot of talk of um, you know uh, just bringing Barnes on for uh, Rodriguez in the Brighton game being a bad decision. But for me, I thought I didn't think Rodriguez impact of the game very much against Brighton, so I don't, I, I'm not saying Barnes did either, but it didn't really surprise me that he wanted to try something different, I don't think Rodriguez had a great season last season, I don't think he really uh, did much to win his place in the last game, I thought Barnes played alright, you know, he put himself about. Is he's, he's got a good record at Anfield, I think he has a good record against these top teams because he, it's a bit of something different, you know, they're not they're not used to playing now, well, <laughs> what Plot would call a, a professional wrestler up front, so I think he gave the centre offers a bit more to think about than... Rodriguez gave Brighton the centre-offs to think about, for example. Um, yeah, he wasn't brilliant, but I didn't think he was awful either. And, uh, you know, I, I wouldn't be surprised if he got the nod against Leeds as well, although I would prefer, I'm probably in the, the Vidra camp myself. I think we just play better when he's playing. But uh, it didn't surprise me that much, and I didn't think Barnes is that bad either. So, uh, yeah, not, not the end of the world for me.
2: Yeah, I, I think that that's probably right. So, Adam, bearing in mind that. Um, you know, he did end up with, without the team that he wanted. I genuinely thought we played really well in a, in a game that we weren't expected to win. Uh, yeah,
3: I thought we were very competitive and um, played the way that um, we have done that's, uh, that's seen us get results at um, at the big grounds in, in recent years. So, you've, you've just got to stay in the game, be solid, be aggressive and and take your opportunities when they come and we were well in the game. Uh so I don't think I don't think you can you can argue with the performance too much. Thought Brownhill slotted into the midfield pretty well, broke up play well. Um, Barnes like well I, I was quite surprised he was starting, but um, I didn't mind it. Like he said, he's um, he's done well against the big teams previously, and like people are talking, like he's really over the hill. Obviously, he didn't have a great season with injuries last season um and had the um poor end to the season with the, the drink driving uh thing which could have uh could have been the end of his Burnley career if um if we'd have taken a, a darker view on it. But um he's only thirty one and he he's when he's had a run of games in the past and got himself going, he's well he's a beast in he and, him, him alongside wood in previous seasons i think has been our most fruit, fruitful partnership and been really effective obviously last year vidra did come to the fore and um and yeah like tom said play well i'd would have probably started with vidra as well on um on saturday but again trust dice to know which which one of the three is best place to partner wood and i i thought jay did all right similar to the team against brighton i think he did well for First fifty minutes or so, and then and then faded and obviously got uh, got subbed. But I'd, I'd, I expected uh, expected him to start again.
2: So we're going to bring George in now. George, thanks for joining us. Better late than never. Um, we're going to bring you straight in at the um, sucker punch of the game. Straight in at the goal. Kind of felt like it came out of nowhere when he, in Liverpool scored. I mean. To be fair, they absolutely carved us apart. So it was a pretty disappointing goal to concede defensively. But up to that point, I thought we'd started the game pretty brightly.
5: Yeah, I thought we were absolutely superb, to be honest, in the, throughout the game. I Obviously faded in the second half, but that, that first goal was a real sucker punch. Um, and it's, it's hard to take when it's only 20 minutes into the game, because then, you know, the entire feeling of the game is changed. No longer can we completely sit back hold it tight and maybe grab a late winner. You always, you always, even though Daesh probably said to as the plan stays the same, it always changes the flow of the game, really, and we're going to have to go searching for an equaliser. But at the same time, there's not many complaints from me about the goal. Uh, it was a brilliant bit of play from Liverpool, and yeah, we could have closed down the cross, but it was a terrific ball, and sometimes you just got to accept your luck with the big teams like that. Just that moment of quality, brilliant header by Jota. There's not much more we can do about it except for stopping the cross.
2: Yeah, that did feel kind of disappointing, didn't it, Tom? I think. Go yeah. Um. go on, go, go
4: on. Yeah, sorry. No, I was just going to say, I mean, it's quite a big thing apart from stopping the cross. I mean, Jota, he's not the tallest lad on the pitch. Is he? He's not going to be beating me or Tarkovsky in, if he's whipping a ball in that you can't pimp, you know, pick out the cross. And we've given him so much time and space there. You could see Tarkovsky was really annoyed at uh, at uh, Lowton and good months then neither of them got out to him he had all the time in the world to pick the cross you should be conceding the header to, to Jota I thought it was you know I thought the second goal that they scored was really good I thought that was just really good quick interplay pulled us apart a bit and a, and a terrific finish but that first one was a really a really cheap goal for me and like you said George you know when you when you go into these places you need to be digging in and keeping it tight for as long as possible and I thought it, we we do that too often for me. We would back we back so far off. Or we let these crosses come in, and if we're going to defend the crosses like that, then we need to be stopping them at source. So uh, to me, that was that was a really disappointing.
2: Job. Yeah, it is. That that said though, Adam, I thought the reaction after the goal was really good. I thought we had um, we, we we grouped really well, and we didn't crumble. And actually, we looked really positive after they scored.
3: Yeah, I, d- I don't think the way we played did really change. I think uh, I think she's. Quite, and the players are quite comfortable at 1-0 down. Um, I always think it's when the second goal goes in that um, if the second goal goes in that we um, that we really struggle because then it is a real long way back. Uh, I, yeah, we're really positive from the off, really positive after the goal. Um, just my thoughts on the first goal, I, I think it's the fact that we didn't close the cross down. I thought the cross was brilliant and I don't... Th- Maybe me hesitated slightly when he, he kind of looked at and before he knew it, he were there, but I don't think it were a cross where you're beating someone in the air. It was just really, like, really well, perfect cross, and he timed his run to perfection, and I don't think, other than me being absolutely with him, that we could have done much about that at all. Uh, but, yeah, the reaction were, were brilliant and got to half-time at 1-0 down, and you felt we were really still in the game.
2: Yeah, and I think I think that defensive resilience, even though, like you say, if you're going to be super critical of the defence for the first goal, and there was a little bit of just a slightly slower reaction, um, I think that was very much... Well, our defensive capabilities were very much on display for the second goal, which was disallowed because it was disallowed because it was offside, because the defensive unit did their job and they didn't move out of position and they kept in rank. They kept that bank of four and it just couldn't break them. Um, Tom, coming back to you very quickly, one absolute, well, not one, I know it's disappointing to lose the game, but this was without question the Dwight McNeil show.
4: Yeah, really, he always seems to do well against Alexander.
2: Whoa, hang on a second. Sorry, I'm just going to say, just before I bring you in, George has literally, just as I said that, put in the chat box, the BBC put him at 5.41 for the game. That's, what? No, he was amazing.
4: Yeah, that's. I think people vote for that, don't they? So it's probably a load of Liverpool fans going on and cry out, <laughs> for want of a better word. The reaction from Liverpool and, well, obviously the manager as well. Uh, yeah. Uh, pathetic to say the least but yeah no he was excellent like yeah, he showed off uh you know everything that we know is good about him um direct uh quick good feet he always seems to have a good game against alexander arnold he always uh, i think alexander arnold struggles to deal with him obviously part of that is that he's got more of an attacking brief than a defensive brief in the playoffs but uh what i liked about McNeil was that a lot of a lot of the time he's um He's very quick to go out wide. Um, I'd like to see him shoot more. I think he's technically he's good, and I don't think he really gets enough goals for saying he's one of our better strikers, as it were, strikers of the ball. Um, and he had a couple of good efforts. That one that cleared off the line. Um, uh, he made the keeper work at his near post as well a little bit later on. So yeah, for me, I, it was a, a good performance. I'd like to see him uh, a bit more involved in the game, and I, I'm hoping that's another thing that we'll get if we do sign Corney. Is that McNeil will be able to? I mean, like for, for example, tomorrow night in that League Cup game he's going to be up and down that wing for 90 minutes when really, ideally, we should be resting him. So, hopefully, the signing of Cornet is going to allow McNeil just to take a bit of the pressure off his shoulders and uh, yeah. show what he can do in that regard.
2: Yeah, definitely. Um, you could try and pick, up, pick, out the, sorry, pick apart the first goal, Adam, but the second goal was just ridiculous. I don't think there was an awful lot that anybody could do to stop that one from going in. It's just one of those things when you meet the successful big team's you're going to run into
3: chances like that, aren't you? Yeah, they just they created an overload down the right-hand side like they do uh, so often. And it was, uh, I think you'd call a a long um, raking pass which from Van Dijk that were brilliant, but if it were Tarkovsky or me, it would be a long ball. Um, and, yeah. and yeah, we were just... <laughs> they had that three-on-two on the far side and it just worked perfectly. We felt like dominoes, didn't we? It were, perfection split second off every time but that's that's the fine margins and it's in back in net so yeah no no complaints good yeah great great goal from uh, from their point of view
2: yeah definitely George obviously that's two two games now two defeats we've been here before obviously in other seasons I'm not particularly concerned just yet um, I think beating Leeds at the weekend will make things look a little bit better um, but it always feels a little bit more reassuring when you lose but play well. Um, and I thought on the whole, it was a fantastic performance against a very, very difficult side. Um, I know we won there last year, but they were well off the pace last year and they were in a in a really bad place. This year is a whole different kettle of fish. They look sharp. They look determined to try and go for the league again and, and they look very well rested. So it bodes well, doesn't it, for the fight that's going to come ahead for us?
5: Certainly. It, it had all the hallmarks of a, a Sean Dyche Burnley team really in that. Last week after Liverpool's game where they absolutely battered Norwich, you know, we come off the back of a really, really poor home defeat where we've, we've we've really thrown the game away. Away, Any other team could have easily gone to Anfield and rolled over, had the belly tickled and come back to the home game the next week, but not a diced team. We went there, really responded to our poor defeat in the first week. And uh, put up a really good performance. And it wasn't just a resolute and defensive performance. We actually went looking, looking for the game. Before they scored, we were really going at Liverpool. After, after they scored, we were we were the same, as Adam said before. You know, we, we really stuck to our guns and, and kept going at them. And although, obviously, things petered out in the second half, that happens in games sometimes. And especially when they get the second, that kills the game off. But a really positive display and... I think it definitely settled a few nerves amongst the supporters, you know, because on paper, two home defeat two defeats, sorry, to start the season's a worry. But not when you play like that away at Anfield. So definitely a big thumbs up for me.
2: Right. Um a very quick one from you, Tom. I don't want to give this clown too much airtime, but um could you can you give any coherent and non-laughable response to Klopp's just ludicrous comments about Burnley being wrestling and um, oh, no we can't we've lost listeners we've lost Tom we're, we're losing listeners left right and centre Adam you take that question instead then please um, can you give any coherent answer at all in response to Klopp's ludicrous claims that we were wrestlers and that referees need to get a grip on the game
3: I think the the reaction in the media speaks for itself it's just had condemnation, yeah. that that comment. And, um, yeah, we are just utter rubbish. We've, we weren't, I don't think we were overly physical. Uh, we played our normal game, which has made us go that record in uh, 95 games without a red card in the Premier League. Um, but, yeah, we've got to be physical to, to have a chance at these places. Uh, we go there and try yeah. and play fluid football against them and we'll get rolled over 5-0. Um, so, yeah, no... No problem with um, with how we we played. I think you get this from some of the big managers. I even Oli we um, were talking about it after the game at Southampton as well how physical um, they were against uh, against United. And again, not much wrong with that uh, performance from Southampton either. I think they've the the big managers have that, and the big six again have that much clout that. It gets all the press and all the the headlines when they say things like this, and it's going to suit them. They'll try and win all the small battles that will give them the slight advantage. It's like it reminded me of the of um, when they were all gunning for five subs um, in in lockdown, and then they'd play against each other and only make one sub each. But against the um, the teams outside the top six, they'd go two or three nil up and then rest all the players. It's just them looking for the the small gains and
2: yeah
3: uh, yeah absolute rubbish. But I don't know what else he were expecting to be honest. Oh, obviously his uh, his new uh, laser eye surgery hasn't worked. I don't know what he were watching. <laughs>
2: That's why we brought you in. That's the kind of cutting edge analysis and cut downs that we were looking for, Adam. <laughs> well played, Bravo. Um, I've just I've got very little respect for that guy, and I just I know he came. He was very popular when he first came to the Premier League, but as every season passes, I just think he's. I just lose all respect for him. I just don't. I don't think he talks um, a good game at all. And it's no way ever. George. Um. Talk us through, we, we, you're going to come on and join us tonight because you've been in a Clarex Trust board meeting this evening. Um, is there anything that you can share with us? Is there anything that you can tell us about before we move on to, to look at Newcastle?
5: Yeah, certainly. There, there's a few... Or is inter- it all top secret? <laughs> a few top secrets to us, but no, no, certainly stuff which I think will be of interest to fans, um, especially two things in particular. Uh, do you remember the survey that was put out uh, to the fans, so over seven thousand supporters filled that in, and wow. uh, Alan was delighted with it. You know, he got he got he got a really good amount of feedback, and it, it helped him. Obviously, he was new to the club, get an understanding of what fans wanted. So that's certainly been taken on board, um, and I think there might be an idea to do that again towards the end of this year. Um, so that that's one thing which I think was certainly definitely positive, positive. and then a second thing, obviously a negative thing that's been. Causing discomfort to a bit of a lot of fans recently is the move to move the disabled supporters from the southeast stand um, into various other places around the ground. Uh, obviously, we spent a lot of money on those two disabled stands, and now one of them's empty, or oh, that, that's what it looks like to fans. Um, and they've obviously been moved around the ground, and that wasn't—I think the club sort of agreed—that wasn't particularly well. Um, well spoken about to everybody in turf they they contacted the disabled supporters individually included included phone calls bringing them to the ground saying you know whereabouts else would you want to sit so a really good dialogue with the disabled supporters themselves but I think we agreed that obviously to the rest of the turf that wasn't that wasn't you know uh, given out through social media etc and it it just adds to the unrest Um, so what I can say is just the reasons the reasons that for the disabled fans having to move. Basically, at the start of this season, things looked as though protocols were being relaxed, all fans coming back to the ground. Absolutely brilliant. You know, everything's moving in the right direction. And then, at the start of August, the Premier League decided right at the last minute that this wasn't going to be enough for the, the, the players themselves and the medical working group, and I'll try and keep this short. The medical working group of the Premier League basically decided the visiting team had to be in the change room that was socially distanced, right? Now, the temporary marquee was already removed at this point, and they told the club at the last hour that protocols for players were not being relaxed. Um, players need to be in, housed in a biosecure area. It not only has to be socially distanced, but they can't cross with a supporter zone, there has to be a buffer zone. Um, so, the club had basically one or two choices, I or three choices. Either put the tent back, uh, which would have been fine, you know, and people say, why not just put the tent back? Well, that would have meant the cricket field would have been closed in its entirety. Um, so, oh, sports, okay. sports would have had to be moved from the cricket field stand and away fans put in different places around the ground. Um, the second option was to, to find a room within Turf Moor where the away guys could get changed and literally the only room that the Premier League found acceptable was above the Claret store. And because it's above the Claret store, the entrance to it, they have to walk along the pitch side through the Southeast stand up to that top room. They, they've, added, they've had to build a shower block behind that disabled stand and that is where the away team are getting changed for now. There's going to be a meeting in the next four weeks because these are emergency protocols by the Premier League, but the expectation is that it isn't going to be changed. Uh, so that, that, that's the couple of things that stood, up, stood out from the meeting. It was a really positive one, uh, my first time. So, yeah, really enjoyed it.
2: No, oh, Good for you, George. Um, did they give any indication once Premier League protocols genuinely go back to normal and, and COVID has left us that the disabled fans will be able to go back into that South East stand? Or was it not mentioned?
5: Yes, uh, certainly. The only reason they've been moved is literally because the Premier League's emergency protocols for the players are way more severe than for fans. Uh, just on that southeast yeah. stand, I know Rich was asking about it. The second screen, uh, the second big screen, that's planned for installation on the top of that stand in November. And there's also plans to replace Brilliant. the big screen uh, that's between the long side and the Jimmy Mac.
2: Oh, exciting stuff! Yeah, good stuff. Well, keep us updated, George. And obviously, um, we're really delighted to have you on the board because I know you'll you'll um, give a good account to the fans and uh, you know and, and listeners. If if there is anything that that you want George to raise, you know, get in touch with us. You can email us at podcast at noninver dot net. Forgot our email address then for a second. You can tweet us at known and um, But better still, why don't you join the Claret's Trust? Um, you know, go to their website, which George is.
5: So you go to google.com and you type in Clarets Trust and it will come up.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Spoken like a true Gen Zer. Um, yeah, no, do uh, you can you can you can find the Clarets Trust website very easily, guys. Um, if I remember right, like, my subs are about five or a year, ten or a year. They're not very, they're not a great deal, but it does. They, you know, they issue a newsletter all the time, which is really useful, and they give you a voice on the board and a direct line of communication to the chairman and his staff. So. You know, do get involved if you can. But if not, it's not something that you um, have the means to do or are interested in doing, then by all means, communicate with, with George and um, he'll be able to, to keep things on the wider agenda. So, finally, before we leave you crazy cats for another week, uh, Tom, Newcastle away, League Cup. Can we generate any enthusiasm for this game, please?
4: Uh, no, <laughs> in a word, it's it's always bad when you get a, a cup draw against a team in the same division. League. That's boring. It's a trek. You know, it's, I, mean, I don't know what it's like from Birmingham to get to Newcastle, but from uh, where I live in Derby, it's you can't do that on the training one night. I'm not doing a two-night stay for a, a League Cup game. You know, we don't. We're not going to play a strong team. I don't think Newcastle will either. I think it'd be a similar one to the Sheffield United game last season. You know, two teams who aren't that bothered about whether or not they go through I could see it being a dull nil nil or a one one and going to penalties and hopefully we get a slightly more interesting tie in the next round. That's the uh, about as much enthusiasm as I can muster for it. But if we get knocked out it won't uh, it won't break my heart, I'll put it that way. So
2: uh, obviously you're you're new this season to us, um Adam, so we know what everybody else's views are on cup games and listeners know what mine is. I get very excited about a Cup Run. Um where do you sit on Cups you to just to concentrate on them? Are you excited
3: about cup runs? Do you think the league has to come first? Share your secrets. Uh, I think the um, the modern game, the league has to come first, which I think from a fan's point of view can be very frustrating because what is there to get excited about? The best we're realistically going to do is finish seventh in the league, which we obviously did uh, three years ago, which were fantastic. But you see some of the cup runs that, well, Leicester winning it last year, even Wigan a few years ago. And to have to have something like that and would be tremendous. And even looking back at 08 or 09, having uh, that run to the Carling Cup semi-final, still, you still talk about that now. Um, more likely to talk about a cup mm. run than a 17th place finish in the Premier League. Uh, I think it's difficult with this one, given we've already talked about how thin the squad is. I think it would be it would be good to see some of them fringe players and young players and see if if they do have um have a spark uh and yeah hopefully we can go through but obviously the main thing is not to pick up any um any injuries or suspensions and uh and get get onto leads on Saturday I think if I'm I'd be more um interested if we're looking good in the league in December January then it'd be nice to have a bit of a go in the FA Cup. Um, but yeah, I always want us to win yeah, anyway. Definitely. So um, yeah, see how far we can get. and hope we don't draw City away in the third round of the FA Cup. Again.
2: Oh God, yeah, me too. <laughs> I'm sick of meeting them rascals. They can, they can go away. Um, I think that's probably all we've got time for. We've covered everything i wanted to talk about and who knows by the time we speak to you next we may have several signings to go um team does anybody have anything else they want to bring up or before we move on and finish off this week i don't think there's anything else is there no adam's shaking his head not good for radio adam george is shaking his head you should know better (laughs) tom help me out here oh god he's shaking his head as well look at that listeners just proper, proper podcasters here, professional podcasters. They're all shaking their heads at me. Well, that is definitely it then. We're going to leave you on that thrilling content to, an, uh, to end a podcast. Um, lots of people saying there's nothing else they want to talk about. Um, What's going to happen next? We are going to see what happens away at Newcastle, see if we can get a mini cup run together, despite Adam's hesitancy, which I'm going to blame on him if we get beat. We're going to play Leeds at the weekend. We're going to get our first win of the season and it's going to be comprehensive. We're going to score loads of goals and it's going to be ace. Um, Dave and I will be back with the previous show on Friday night, giving you all the stats ahead of that trip. Uh, we're at home, aren't we? Yeah, at Turf when when... Uh, our Yorkshire neighbours come to visit us and then the rest of the team will be back for the analysis show on Tuesday next week where we will dissect that game, confirm all of the signings once the transfer window is closed and see where we are. Um, if you've got any questions in the meantime, you know how to get in touch with us. You can email us at podcast at knowninever.net or tweet us at ever or comment on our Facebook page, however you want to get in touch. My thanks as ever go to everybody who's been involved in producing this podcast and putting it together, to my three panellists, George, Tom and Adam, um, especially to Adam, who's smashed it on his debut episode. Well done, Adam. And thanks you all for your opinion and your time. To producer Matt for knitting all of this together and getting it out there, to our local musician, George Gaskell, who provides the jingle free of charge. So please do check him out. Matt will put his Twitter handle on the Um, social media channels so you can give him some love and some support Um, and finally to you the listeners for downloading and listening to this episode your support is very much appreciated and we would not be here without you I've been Natalie Bromley, this has been the Known and Ever podcast, until next time